0: Good morning and welcome to your Friday Five, a weekly newscast from the Boston University News Service. It's Friday, May 1st. I'm Hannah Harn, podcast and production editor.
1: And I'm Sammy Purcell, news editor. Today we'll take a look at our top stories from this week, including one student's remote learning challenges, PPE donations from Brookline students, and a look at how the Boston Symphony Orchestra is playing through quarantine. Let's get started so you can start your day.
0: As many in the Commonwealth transition to remote learning, some students have an extra barrier to work around every day. No broadband internet access in their homes. Emily Godden, 17, is one of them. I feel like the only reason it's getting any attention is because of classes moving online, said Godin, a student at Hampshire Regional High School in West Hampton. But it was definitely an issue before the whole coronavirus happened, and it just never got any attention. Some local legislators have been raising awareness around the issue of high-speed internet access, or lack thereof, during the pandemic. Governor Charlie Baker referenced the need for improved internet access in his 2020 State of the Commonwealth Address earlier this year, stating that when he first took office in 2015, many communities in western Massachusetts had no plan for installing high-speed internet. But after four years of work and support from the legislature, he added, every one of those communities will either already have high-speed service or have a plan in place to make it happen. Still, having a plan in place for future service isn't the same as having instant access, and some students and teachers find themselves suddenly trying to learn or teach remotely without high-speed service in their homes. Before the public health crisis, Godin would stay late after school or go to the library or cafe to get her work done. Not that I'm behind other students, but I did have to put more effort into the stuff that they were able to do at home, Godin said. With schools closed due to COVID-19 and home internet not fast enough to keep up, she now drives to the center of Goshen to use an internet hotspot for her classwork. And students aren't the only ones struggling. Gretchen Moore Stobos, the superintendent and principal of the R.H. Conwell School in Worthington, said that communicating with families has been key to transitioning to remote learning for students with or without broadband. One teacher sits in the parking lot for several hours just to be able to teach, she said. Morris said that the school has been transitioned to less synchronous, project-based learning, with flexible deadlines, so students can work at their own pace. This story was reported by Lillian Eden.
1: As Hollywood studios scramble to release their blockbusters at home, and everyone and their mothers seems to be putting out a streaming service, there's no shortage of new films and TV to watch while stuck at home. If anything, there's too many choices. Sometimes when the world is so unpredictable, the only thing that can ease a frantic mind is sinking back into a fictional, well-known world. Here's what Four Buns contributors are re-watching. For Caitlin Riggio, Survivor has been a staple in her selection of frequently watched television shows for as long as she can remember. Watching the latest episode at 8pm on Wednesday nights might as well be a weekly tradition in her family. Catherine Swindell says that 90210 is utterly absurd and totally brilliant, and like a fine wine, it only gets more brilliant with age. It follows the lives of Annie and her brother Dixon as they move from Kansas to West Beverly High School in California and make friends and enemies with their exorbitantly wealthy and high-drama new classmates. Anushka Dolmia says that, in this time of chaos, parks and recreation may cure the quarantine blues. Watching Leslie Nope control and fix every ridiculous problem that has thrown her way helps Anushka ignore that the world is collapsing around her, destroying any illusion of routine or direction. Set in the fictional town of Pawnee, Indiana, Parks and Rec follows a group of reluctant government employees led by the ambitious, kooky Nope as they try to make their town a better place to live. The work isn't glamorous, their lives aren't riveting, but the comfort lies in the mundanity of their struggles. Kendall Tamer is diving back into Gilmore Girls. The show setting, a fabricated Connecticut town called Stars Hollow, is like a worn sweater in the form of a place. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone goes to the same little diner. They have adorable town festivals complete with costumes and hijinks. And there's a cast of silly characters always up to something. Between vast antique shops, picnic basket auctions, and cup after cup of Luke's coffee, Stars Hollow and its colorful cast of townspeople is the perfect place to get lost in.
0: Music lovers stream down Massachusetts Avenue and pour into Symphony Hall, where they sit shoulder to shoulder as they wait for the musicians to take their places, the lights go down, and for the cavernous concert hall to be filled with mellifluous melodies. This used to be just another day in the office for members of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. But closures caused by COVID-19 and subsequent restrictions on large gatherings have forced the BSO to turn to alternative methods, such as producing educational and performative videos to continue to engage with the community. Bass trombonist James Markey spoke to the collaborative nature of the orchestral performance and adapting to the cancellation of performances and rehearsals that fostered this connection between his peers. I miss that opportunity to be able to support my colleagues, to make music with them on stage, Markey said. Ultimately, as an orchestra, that's what you do for every performance. You work together to get everyone on the same page, and that's what a really great conductor can do, too. The BSO is still waiting to determine whether summer programming, including the 2020 Boston Pops Fireworks Spectacular and the 2020 Tankwood season, can happen. The organization said they will monitor official recommendations daily and proceed carefully and cautiously in the decision-making process. They are planning on making final decisions closer to the start of summer events. With all current outreach now done remotely, the orchestra has shifted to producing a collection of online offerings under the umbrella title, BSO at Home. This platform includes past recordings of performances, playlists of recording from the archives, and newly filmed content. Musicians have been called on to produce a variety of videos from home, including tutorials, performances, and sharing their thoughts on how social distancing has affected them personally. This story was reported by Sarah Magalio.
1: It was smiles all around at Millis Town Hall when officials received an $88,046 check from ComCan Inc., the only recreational marijuana dispensary in town. The amount reflected three months of business after the location opened late last year, with the optional local 3% sales tax owed by every marijuana company in Massachusetts as part of the host community agreement. Massachusetts cannabis sales met expectations in 2019 with $420 million in gross income, according to the Cannabis Control Commission. The income has cycled back into communities where the stores have opened. It has helped the businesses thrive and has offered Massachusetts residents safe sale and consumption. Not all communities are seeing the benefits of the gross earnings for 2019, however. Towns like Southboro have had a recreational sales ban since 2016, when Question 4 was approved. Although statewide recreational sales were approved on a majority vote among towns and cities, not all voted yes. Each of Southboro's three precincts voted no. As a result, it is one of more than 80 communities that has not only rejected recreational marijuana businesses, but also misses out on the potential profits from sales taxes like those seen in Millis. Despite the ban, Southboro is still home to one dispensary. It is ComCan's second location, which operates only for medical sales under a separate law approved by voters in 2012. This story was reported by Tony Kaushy.
0: Last but not least, three Brookline High School students have created an initiative to collect donated personal protective equipment from local families to support hospitals lacking the necessary supplies. Ava Linus, Alexa Kalish, and Anna Martino, all sophomores, partnered with the Boston Medical Center to gather equipment Brookline residents already had at home, including masks, face shields, and gloves, after growing concerns for the safety of hospital personnel treating patients who were infected with COVID-19. Linus, 16, said her father is a doctor at Boston Medical Center and proposed the idea to start the project after schools closed in Massachusetts. We did some research and then started the PPE collection project, Linus said. It's important for us to make sure the doctors are safe and healthy since a lot of our parents are doctors and work at the hospitals. So far, the three students have been able to donate about 300 surgical masks, 700 gloves, 10 N95 masks, and two sets of eye protection goggles to the Boston Medical Center. While working on the project with the students, Mr. Linus said he learned a lot about the companies who had never been involved in the healthcare system, but due to their manufacturing capabilities, wanted to help by transitioning to production abilities to make face shields. While Linus blames the federal government for not being ready for this, he calls it an epic failure of public health. He said this type of volunteer work from the sophomores at Brookline High forms a sense of community solidarity. It's important for the community to feel like we're working together on this, Ben Leas said. This story was reported by Camila Boehner. And that's it for your Friday Five. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. For the full versions of this week's stories, visit BUNewservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode.
1: We'd like to thank today's contributing writers, Lillian Eden, Michaela Heiss, Kendall Tamer, Catherine Swindells, Anushka Dalmia, Caitlin Riggio, Tony Cauchi, and Camilla Boehner. We'd also like to thank our production team. This week's episode of Friday at Five was produced by Hannah Horn.
0: And be sure to listen to some of our other podcasts, like Between the Bylines, where we sit down with our contributors to discuss our top stories through the lens of student journalism. Visit us online at BUNewsservice.com/slash podcasts for more information.